you want to figure out how can I go out there in the world and feel quote unquote normal. I had the privilege of meeting incredible people that you would really only meet by chance. There's a lot of places on this planet that have humbled the shit out of me. I think the thing that makes you unique and different is the thing that's going to position you for success. I don't shine if you don't shine. I was glowing. You were truly in my damn homeland. Everybody. Welcome back to On She Goes, the podcast. This is Sarita. We are here with Farron and Rebecca. Hello. Hey. And we have a special guest, uh, Chanel Ali. Hey, guys. Comedian. She is in town in Portland. Actually, I should be more specific because mm. people don't know where we'd be at all the time. <laughs> um, she's in, in town in Portland for the Jane Comedy Festival. Yes. Very exciting. Can you first, Chanel, thank you so much for being with us. Can you tell us a little bit about the Jane Comedy Festival before we really kick off? It's really awesome. Awesome. Um, it's a pretty diverse festival of women from all over the country. I'm not sure if they go international, but they take a, a real wide range of women from all over the country and bring them together to Portland and do a weekend of shows. Some of them are specially curated. They have themes. Some of them include game shows and live sketch shows. But it's a great collection of just female comedians with various voices coming to Portland and trying to find the sun, you know, just trying to <laughs> moisturize. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's called the All Jane Festival, and uh, you can look it up on Instagram, Facebook. They have shows every day, a few shows a day, and it's awesome. They really take care of us. We just had a, a great brunch uh, with lots of laughs. So this is not your first time in Portland? No, I actually did this festival last year. It was right. one of the first times I got to headline a, a comedy festival, um, which is really cool to jump as a comedian. You know, in the beginning, you apply to festivals, mm-hmm. and some of them let you in. A lot of them don't. And then uh, you have to kind of pay your own travel to get to wherever it is and find a place to stay. And they'll give you a few shows, sometimes a little bit of cash, but it's um, really an investment for you to network and to meet people in other cities. But um, in the last few years, I've graduated to the point where I'm headlining festivals, and that's nice. really nice to just be able to come out and do shows. And tonight I'm doing a show It's called Chanel Ali and Friends. And mm-hmm. I didn't pick that name, but it sounds great, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's awesome. That yeah. seems like the goal. Absolutely. To absolutely. get an and friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. I think we, we never get an on she goes and friends. That hasn't no. happened yet. One day. Yeah. Um, we gotta get some friends first. It's a, it's a slippery yeah. slope. It's <laughs> a slippery slope, you know. We gotta get some friends. Um, <laughs> and so so you've been to Portland before. What did you think Portland was going to be like before you came here? You know, I think I thought it was gonna be like I guess Northern Cali. I thought oh. it was gonna be just like Northern Cali, but it's definitely more gloomy and <laughs> not as diverse as I think I thought it was going to be. Like yeah. You thought Portland was going to be diverse? Yeah, I thought I was going to like find some black people and I haven't found them. You found all of them right I mean, I'm at, your, I'm at your job right now. Yeah. So you're like obligated to be here but every other place I've been going I have not found them really. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I didn't really have a, a lot of ideas about Portland but I will say that um, it's become a top five favorite joking city for me. Really? Um, oh. In terms of all the cities that I've been to, because I rank people based on um, how they laugh. Mm-hmm. And I think Portlanders really give it up. That's you know? good. Like, yeah. They dig deep. That's It's like real good doofy laughter, just like dumb sounding. And um, they really embrace like whoever you are. I just feel like some crowds are like, they can be a little off put by someone mm. that's not 
the norm or considered the norm, but Portland seems to really embrace comedians here. And like, they're like, oh, that's, that's different, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's, I wouldn't have thought that you were like that, but no, tell us more. <laughs> yeah. So you like it so far? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I like the city. Okay, nice. that's good. That's good. A lot so, of glasses wearers here. I don't know. Yes. People yeah. are very confident in their glasses. I think it's something in the water. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I think it's like astigmatism. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's like, I have to wear my glasses. I'm not, I'm not, I'm I'm not a doctor. <laughs> you know, but it's a lot um, of glasses around here. Have you been to any of the strip clubs here? This, oh I my have God, a point, no. I promise. Why do people keep asking me about this? Yeah. People keep asking me about if I'm going to go to a Portland strip club. What are y'all doing? So Portland has the most strip clubs per capita. Of, so, is that yeah. The uh-huh. most uh-huh. per capita wow. of any U.S. city. So like wow. pretty much every building that you see without windows is a strip club. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the reason why I was asking is because this is the first place I've ever been to where the strippers wear glasses. They're glasses while they strip. Like eyeglasses. Like they don't. It's fun. They're like, this is hazardous. I need to see. (laughs) Yeah. Like they don't. Where I'm throwing my body up here. Right. Like, you know, you would never go to a place in New York, like, you know, Sue's or something and And see see girls with eyeglasses on. Definitely not. And Chuck's. (laughs) No. Certainly not. Absolutely not. No. <laughs> That's crazy, but now I'm really curious. Like, I want to go to a strip club and see a bunch of strippers that are also really taking good care of themselves. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Making sure their eyesight yeah. is up to like, par. Like, what if one girl had, like, a knee brace on? And she was like, this is hard. We're bending down. This is hard on me. Insoles. Yes. <laughs> yeah. back brace. Clogs. I like, that I like that Portland is practical. Like, yeah. Really I have practical. seen strippers in clogs. <gasps> like, I really have. I've seen yeah. strippers in clogs. They had a thing on the back, though, because clogs are really dangerous to uh, strip, and I'm assuming a I can imagine. Because yeah. they'll slip off. And they'll probably hurt if they uh-huh. hurt. I'm just not going to give any money to a girl that's dancing in clogs around me. <laughs> like there's, I'm not going to give you any money. Why not? What? She's no. doing her best. No, 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 no. <laughs> I could YouTube this. <laughs> that's true. I don't. I don't need. That's this. something different though. That's like Holland. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know. It's, it's like clap. Copenhagen. <laughs> yeah. It's in clogs. Oh it's heavy wooden soles. Oh, I can't. Um, Man, okay. Portland, Portland got strippers like that? Dang. That's yeah, crazy. Lit, a lot of people. It's crazy. And, like, the thing is here, I think, about the strip clubs is, um, you know how, like, in some cities it'll be, like, you know, strippers are stripping because they have to. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, here totally. it's just a job. Yeah. You know, I'm from Philly, and it's a strip club. I don't even know if it's open anymore. It used to be called Atlantis. You know Atlantis? I don't think I've ever been mm. to Atlantis. Atlantis. I've been to some in, real <laughs> Let me tell you, Atlantis ones. was in West Philly. It was underneath the Chili's. <laughs> <laughs> and you and it was like a Chili's on one of Main Street. So you would see the Chili's all the time. And then just one day, if you happen to just go around the side, you see like a stairwell going underground. Oh, my God. And let me tell you, the cover charge for the strip club, let me tell you, Seven dollars. That's oh. it. That's how you know some crazy not, yeah, stuff was, was going on yeah, in there. Yeah, you know what I'm going on in there. Uh, yeah, it was crazy. Every time I would go in there, I would I felt like I would be looking at the girls like, what has happened? You know, yeah. like how how did we get here? You're like you in know? a rescue mission. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but also like they were they were all very like. I don't want to sound demeaning, but like very average shaped women. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like a lot of times you'll go to a strip club and the dancers are like so petite yeah. and like weird. You know, I'm Portland. like, you know, yeah. like the boobs are too crazy. And mm-hmm. But I was like, these are like regular women so just, who were just like, listen, I am not going to go to South Philly. 
I'm gonna stay here in Westfield yeah. and eat this chilies, and we're gonna get this money together. So chilies. like, like let's just be easy with it. And I even remember oh I went with gosh. a group of friends, and one of my friends ended up dating one of the strippers. Like for a while, he dated oh. her. Yeah, and she was a nice lady. Atlantis, if it's still open, I, I'd love a gift card. I don't think I've only been to two strip clubs in Philly, and that was. Um, Delilah's Den, which yeah. is like down on Delaware Avenue, and then like uh, Night on Broadway, which is on Broad Street. And I don't even think that was a legal strip club. Oh, I don't even yeah, know. I never heard of that. Yeah, it was like right on like Broad and like near Broad and Alney, honestly. It was crazy. like right next to like the big thrift store on Broad Street. Oh, like it was like, and it was a basement. Eve used to work there. Little known fact. Back I in the day, long, did. long, long time oh, ago. I real bet long time she ago. Did. What a turnaround. Um <laughs> <laughs> what a turnaround. I wish I was Philly's Eve. finest. Yeah, she's got a good life right now. Yeah. Um, so you've been traveling, obviously, as a comedian. Um, what has it been like for you touring? Like, is that a crazy thing? What is it like? Um, sometimes it's crazy. I think it, it always depends on like who I'm touring with. Because a lot of times I'm opening for, like, bigger headliners than me. Like, I just did a couple shows with um, uh, JFL, which is uh, the Just for Laughs Festival mm-hmm. in Montreal. And I got to open for Mark Marin while I was oh, up cool. there. Nice. Great comedian. Notoriously sober comedian. Ooh. So lots of fruit in the green room. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, like, it was super low-key. And we just went in and did a show. And he ended up doing, like, an hour and a half after I did, like, 30 minutes, which is a really long comedy show for just two comedians. But we were really vibing um but yeah i've had i've had times that were crazy um sometimes in new york city i opened for michael che from saturday night mm-hmm. live yeah. and that's always crazy there's an after party with like an insane password to get in um i remember the first time i opened for him he sent me the password he texted it to me and i was so nervous walking up to the club that the bouncer was like what's the password and i was like macro just like with confidence you yeah. know and he was like no that's not it <laughs> And I was like, oh, my God, Michael Che tricked me. And he's looking out of a window right now watching me <laughs> laughing with his friends, like, trying to see what I'm going to do. And I'm, like, freaking out, like, pacing, like, damn, I thought that was it. And he's like, come over here. Like, the bouncer's like, it was Marco, like, Marco Polo. Oh, he must oh. spell it wrong? No, I was so nervous <laughs> that I read it so fast. It was like, macro, that's it. I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that was, a, that was a crazy time that um, I just got to experience, like, how many people will sneak into a after party when they think Michael Che is there? How many people are going to be drinking, smoking? Um, but I feel like I was built for the road, you know? I just mm-hmm. think I'm good at handling what comes mm-hmm. and taking it with a grain of salt and laughing at people. Yeah. Um, and luckily, I think my demeanor keeps, like, the crazy fans even at bay. Like, even the crazy, like, fanatical people that I've met who can tell me things about myself that I'm like, that's not online. I don't know yeah. where you got that. <laughs> who told you that? Even right. they're still pretty chill, you yeah. know? <laughs> I think it's, like, my aura that I give off that they can tell, like, if they wall out too much, I'm just going to back away slow. Yeah, you're like, gotta <laughs> yeah. get help. Um, let me ask you, do you guys, do you ever get, I feel like comedians, like male comedians especially, get groupies. Do you ever get comedy groupies? Like, oh, hell yes. Hell <laughs> yes. Uh, I have dated a groupie before. They'll, they'll, they'll find you online. They'll like everything you've ever done, ever. They'll listen to podcasts like this and find little nuggets of information and then bring them up casually in conversation. Oh, man, oh. somebody's going to bring up Atlantis. Oh, wow. It's going to happen. <laughs> so we're going to connect on that, and then later on I'll realize. Bring you a gift card. I even one time I went on a date with a guy, and I told him I was a comedian, and he was like, oh, I never heard of you. And I was like, oh, you know, no worries. Yeah, cool. You know, I'm, I'm chilling. <laughs> and then, like, after a few dates, we went to his house, and I met his roommate, and his roommate just happened to be there 
there and he was like, oh, you're Chanel Ali. My my roommate's been like obsessed with you for like a year. He's like a huge fan. I can't believe you're hanging out with him. And so then he came out and I was like, bro, what is this? Like, why would you lie about this? And he was like, I don't know. I was just like nervous. And I just thought, and I was just like, ah, this is weird now. Like, I can't even really hang with you. So yeah, I feel like guys have made it weird you know but honestly my male counterparts when i watch them deal with groupies i feel like they they have it just as bad you know like it's not as simple as oh this person likes me and my art and they want to just be around me and be cool it's not it's not Mm -hmm. they never want to be around you and just be cool it does seem like female comedians would get groupies like more than like like singers like female singers you know what i mean like it just (laughs) seems like a a thing that men can easily like be like yeah i'm into this Mm -hmm. she's funny totally yeah totally she's so funny and she's traveling and she's opening for men you know like (laughs) they'll like me just because i'm opening for their favorite comedian and they're just like that's so cool you hung out with him i like you now (laughs) right we should be together (laughs) um do you guys have any questions yeah what's your um favorite city to to go to to, for touring or otherwise um i really like boston a lot i haven't been to a ton of cities like internationally but around the country i've been a few times to almost every major city um but boston is definitely like one of my favorites i just feel like the crowds there are just so great and um the spaces like it's it's an old city so a lot of the shows are in like old theaters Mm -hmm. and they just have such good vibes and you know there's always a mix in a city with like how in tune they are with what's happening in news and culture Mm -hmm. and new york is always the top of that they're so well read that they're so quick to you know, correct you or to see where you're going before you make a point. Like, it's really hard to impress a New York audience, but I feel like Boston people are just not cool enough. (laughs) (laughs) They're just just right in that cusp that you can really get them on your team and and, and really connect, (laughs) you know? Yeah, I like like Boston a lot. Um, I like L.A. I feel like in L.A. you can say a joke in the cadence of a joke and get ahead, even if it's not that funny. Mm -hmm. Like, I could be on stage in L.A. and I could just be like, ba-da-ba-da-ba. Ba-da-ba-da. And they're like, this is hilarious. <laughs> this girl, oh my God, did you hear that? And you're like, it doesn't even matter what the joke was. Like, just that cadence enough is enough to like shift them enough to laugh. But in New York, it's not like that. Like you have to really come yeah. with your best, your hardest, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, that's a good thing about starting in Philly is that Philly crowds are so tough. Mm-hmm. And it made me so tough that when I moved to New York, I was like, oh, I'm dead inside. I don't feel anything. It's, it's fine. I've already been killed. It's, it's fine. fine. I'm not laughing. It's it's totally fine. I'm really being cynical about the fact that I'm doing this anyway. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, speaking of Philly, you talked about what cities you like touring in. What cities make you feel like you're most at home? Yeah. Have you ever like went to a city and immediately started to feel like, ah, this is like home? You know, I felt like that the first time I went to Toronto. Mm. Um, just obviously there's a, a lot of immigrants mm-hmm. a lot of like caribbean culture mm-hmm. which is very similar to brooklyn where i mm-hmm. live um that made me feel immediately at home i think my friend picked me up from the airport and we went to a reggae club near the airport mm-hmm. and we were smoking weed next to cops in this reggae club mm-hmm. and i was just looking around like i love this mm-hmm. this is yeah. awesome and different and let's do this all the time you know right. um but the crowds are great just a really diverse city a very clean city you know toronto is clean yeah i like toronto a lot it, it didn't feel as foreign as i thought it was gonna f- it did feel you know a good amount foreign and i think montreal was like an extreme version of that but definitely toronto was one of the first cities that i toured in that I was like man I think I could live here like Mm -hmm. I think I could maybe have a place here and come visit you know Mm -hmm. um 
because I think it's important as an artist to pay attention to artists before us and what they've done to be successful. And a lot of comedians lose their shit, you know? And, like, Dave Chappelle lives in Ohio with his wife and Mm -hmm. his kids because he's a smart man, you know? Because he knows that living in New York City or living in L.A. and doing that humdrum is not conducive to long-term happiness. Mm -hmm. And we see that all the time with entertainers doing a bunch of drugs and ODing and, like, it seems like they're living this great lavish lifestyle, but they're secretly unhappy. So I really try to, like, pay attention to the artists that have come before me and, and mm-hmm. their lessons yeah. so that I don't fall in those same traps, you know? Right. Because it is a hard job, and you're traveling. Mm-hmm. I'm on the road about 14 days a month. Oh, wow. And it's really yeah. hard on my house plants, and, <laughs> you know, hard on even my friends because they want to hang out, and comedy happens at night, so I'm always busy at night, right. you know? So I really try to pay attention to cities that make me feel home and or, or whole and, you know, consider long-term how I'm going to keep myself comfortable Mm -hmm. did you travel a lot growing up or was this kind of like a new thing you were just thrown into i did i did travel a lot i was born in new jersey and um i went to live with my uncle when i was about six i was an orphan Mm -hmm. and he was in the military at the time so then we traveled a lot with him Mm -hmm. we lived in alaska for a while we lived in california for a while um and then i went to um temple university in philly i moved back east and Mm -hmm. then since then you know i even before i even started comedy i went to West Africa. Mm-hmm. I was just very, especially after college, you know, you have that moment where you're like, I don't even know what I'm doing out here. And yeah. I was trying to get jobs and it just didn't always feel real. Mm-hmm. Like I would be sitting, I would have a great opportunity. I would sit there at my desk on the first day of work and it just felt dishonest in a way that I couldn't understand, you know, because I used to be the type of person that would judge someone if they were like, well, I can't get a job. I'm an artist. Mm -hmm. I'd be like, you fucking bum. You know, I would would judge people like that all the time. Like, what's wrong with you? Like, this is how the world works. You have to go get a job and have a skill and have a trade and make money. So, um, yeah, comedy really, once I tried it, I was like, oh man, I don't think I can do anything else. And traveling before I tried it definitely really cemented that idea that living a life as an artist is okay and that it's you're not hurting anybody and it's okay if not everybody understands but mm-hmm. i'm just making people laugh you know mm-hmm. they're much more powerful people who are making money and have all types of stature and they're doing terrible things in their office you know right. so i was able to really like travel and understand art at a deeper level enough to be able to respect that this is real and that I should pursue it. Mm-hmm. How did you decide to get into it? Like, was it was there something that sparked your interest? Have you always just been, like, making jokes and stuff when you were little? Definitely like- was always a jokester. And I just think it was something I always knew. Like, even when I was very young, I think I remember thinking it as a whole thought. Like, I think I'm a comedian when I was seven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just remember watching a lot of Martin Lawrence stand-up. Mm. And I just mm-hmm. remember thinking... I am that whatever this is like whatever embodies this this man and the talent and skills that have combined to give him this job beyond the job I was like I am that I am that Mm -hmm. type of person and I saw myself in a way that I had never seen myself before but even that took me years and years to be brave enough to even say it out loud right like other people would say to me all the time you're so funny and you tell stories so well and Mm -hmm. you, you speak all the time I was always doing like public speaking I was always the person in class that would be like well I can say that you know like it it never scared me you know Um, but still I was never brave enough to say it out loud and then after college I went to an open mic and it was $20 to get into this open mic to support a friend 
which is a lot of money to pay for an open mic. <laughs> I was like, we don't even know if they're going to be good. You want me to pay money? So I paid it because I wanted to support my friend. And when I got in there, they were like, we have an empty slot. We need somebody to take the slot. And I was like, well, I'm not going to sit here in silence if I paid. So sign me up. <laughs> and I had no written jokes. I had never done comedy before. But I was like, let's try it. I'm going to tell some stories and see what happens. And then afterwards, people were like, man, you were so good. Where can we see you? How, how long have you been doing this? And I was like, holy, I don't even know what I just did. I don't even know what this is, you know? <laughs> And then after that, it was just like, you know, it was like a drug. It bit me, and I just aligned my entire life to just stay on stage and work on this until I didn't have to work a regular job anymore. Mm-hmm. Comedy is such a male-dominated field. Like, have you felt the effects of that at all? Like, especially, I feel like it's specifically white male-dominated. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? Especially, like, stand-up and, and who you see mostly, like, touring and stuff like that. Do you ever feel the effects of that? Yeah, absolutely. I I think in any industry, people that have power tend to give opportunities to other people that look sound Mm -hmm. and make them feel comfortable, even if we don't do it consciously. But if a white guy in a flannel shirt is watching another white guy in a flannel shirt tell jokes about his how he can't stand his wife, yeah, he's like, I also hate my wife, <laughs> and I love your style, <laughs> right. you know. And he's right. not consciously thinking I want to choose a white guy in a flannel shirt like me, but he is, yeah. and he's going to give that guy an opportunity to headline his club or give him more money and things like that. So I definitely felt like it would take longer for me to get people to notice me, even if I was doing better, even if I was consistently. Crying rushing um and there were a lot of times that I had to you know be heavy-handed and tell a club or a producer hey I'm not going to work with you because you don't really value me mm-hmm. and I don't think you're understanding how I'm improving this lineup by having a perspective that doesn't sound like I have a flannel shirt on you know mm-hmm. so I've definitely felt the effects of that and also in the last few years obviously with the me too movement mm-hmm. we've seen a lot of entertainers really have to come to task for the things that they've done to women in comedy sure. or yeah. in entertainment and in me kind of coming through that i've been able to watch headliners that i opened for years ago hit me up and and be able to review their own actions and say Chanel that was fucked up Mm -hmm. I'm sorry that I even put you in that situation that you had to shut me down and make this gig weird because we were at a professional thing and I wasn't thinking man this is probably uncomfortable for her she's in this comedy club this green room with all these men and we've all been drinking and she Mm -hmm. has to be here to do this opportunity Mm -hmm. and now we've made her uncomfortable like Mm -hmm. I've watched them have to look at their own selves and acknowledge like oh we didn't realize we didn't realize that this wasn't being policed like that and that these things could brew up so I definitely feel the effects of it and I feel like it's getting better Mm -hmm. but the steps are small still Mm -hmm. and I really feel it so much when I get off stage and especially a black woman will come up to me and say please don't stop yeah please don't stop doing this Mm -hmm. and sometimes it moves me to tears and we don't even speak a lot because I understand a level of what they're saying they're like this voice is so important please keep talking and I'm like I swear to you I'm not gonna quit I swear to you I'm gonna keep doing it you know Mm -hmm. because I feel the weight of my words and my persona right and um even with kids like having a little girl be like yeah I want to I want to be a comedian I'm like holy shit yeah (laughs) I could never say that when I was little and I totally felt it and it's it's amazing that I'm able to show you that look it could be us and that our voice is important you know mm-hmm. and um wanda sykes was such a big influence on me i was gonna ask um, who are your influences I know, i'm just gonna hit them all right yeah <laughs> <laughs> she was such a big influence on me and um 
she was a comedian's comedian, you know, she wrote for Chris Rock and mm -hmm. she wrote for TV shows and then she crossed over into acting, which is very hard to do for a lot of comedians, but she did it with a lot of grace and like, you know, played, you know, next to J-Lo and, you know, mm -hmm. she just, she was able to just do it in a way that it was scandal free, you know, yeah. and she really set the stage for me to understand that there's room there and it's okay if you don't look or sound like what anybody else expects you to, you can be who you really are. Like yeah. she started comedy when she was like 40. You know, she she had already had a great government job. Yeah. She didn't need it. She wasn't out here being an artist. Like, I don't know what I'm going to paint. Like, what am I going to do, you know? <laughs> so it, it really, I've been able to, to benefit from watching this industry shift and feel inspired mm -hmm. that we can get better and better and better. Mm -hmm. Anybody else besides Wanda Sykes? That you uh, um, inspired you? I mean, I, I obviously want to give more credit to women, but I have to admit there are some funny men. Um, <laughs> I really, few. back in the day, I read a book and also was a big fan of uh, Steve Martin's. Mm -hmm. And he has a book called Born Standing Up that I recommend to anyone who ever wants to do comedy. My gosh. He outlines his beginning years when he literally was just bombing. He would just go to a show and just bomb for 20 minutes. And then the next day he would bomb for 19 minutes. And then he would analyze that one minute of not bombing. <laughs> <laughs> and try to figure out what he was doing, you know. Um, but he really, that book really taught me about being meticulous and studying your craft and taking it seriously, you know, because it is those, it's one of those things, I always compare comedy to basketball. Mm. And I always say, if I passed you a basketball right now and I said, you want to be an NBA player, go ahead, but you can only practice with this basketball for five minutes. And then I'm going to take the ball back and you can't get any more minutes until next week. It would take you forever. Right. It would yeah. take you forever to get good at this skill. And right. comedy is one of those things that you can't do it without a stage and people. Mm. You can't just sit at home and flex. And, yeah. write, and you can write all you want, but you figure out comedy in the moments when you didn't have a thing written. And something happened in the room and you, you realize that this is what you're saying in a joke. So it, it really it takes a long time. It's a really hard task to master. But um, Steve Martin's book helped me break it down into parts. And I was mm -hmm. able to see, like, oh, I know how to study things. Right. I'm going to study this. Right. Was that the closest thing you came to, like, a formulaic layout of comedy? Absolutely. Yeah. And and I'm very I'm still very meticulous about my business. If you look at my phone right now and my notes, I have a, a set list of every show I've ever done. Like, mm -hmm. even tonight, I'm going to make a new set list, Curious Comedy Theater, mm -hmm. and I'm going to list every joke that I plan on telling. It's not always going to go like that. Right. I'm probably going to say different things, but then after the show, I'm going to go back to that and make notes mm -hmm. and say, well, you didn't tell this joke because this lady started talking to you, so then you started talking about this, and the lights went off here, and then you did, you know, like, I'm going to, I'm very meticulous about everything that's happened every show, mm -hmm. and, I, and I'm always trying to build and get better, you know, so definitely yeah. he helped lay that groundwork to understand that you can break it down into smaller tasks, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. That's probably probably like so it, that's so interesting to me because i feel like nobody would ever think that a comedian is like super super meticulous no. yeah i've seen a lot of comedians do it in a lot of different ways but almost all of them have some type of meticulous nature where they're able to take notes and and build a set you know yeah. because these are jokes that we're writing down but we're trying to get them to a point where we can sell them or put them in a place that they'll play forever so you got you want to make them the best version that they can be yeah do you have any crazy comedy stories, like stand-up experiences that were just like maybe from a city or like where it was like, that was the craziest thing that's ever happened to me? Like, Man, it's hard. No pressure. 
It's hard to pick the craziest thing. <laughs> I feel like there's so many crazy things. Actually, the last time I was in Portland here, um, I was staying with a friend who had a, a few roommates, mm-hmm. and I was trying to save money, so I was like, I'm going to stay there and not let them get me a hotel, just get the money. And the first night I get there, and I like put my key in the door, and his roommate is sitting on the couch that I'm supposed to be sleeping on, mm. butt naked. Oh, no. no. And he's just like staring at the TV like he's dead. <laughs> what oh, is that? And I come in, and I'm like, uh, hey, hey, I'm... Uh, I think I'm supposed to think I'm going to lay there. <laughs> kind of tired. <laughs> Could you, uh, and he doesn't look at me. He doesn't no. move. Oh, no. And so I like text my friend and my friend was like sleep. And then I just left and got a hotel in the middle of the night. And I was just like, no, but that, that type of stuff has happened way more times than I'd like to admit, where I thought I was going to be able to just crash on someone's couch yeah. and save some money. And I got there and the scenario was just like, no, this is, I don't even want to deal with this. I don't even know what this is. Yeah. I don't even know what yeah. you're doing. Oh, that sounds like drugs. Yeah, oh, totally. Yeah. That sounds like a I typical like, Portland drug experience. I know he told you I was coming here. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Just to be like sitting on, the, first of all, He's, if you have a shared space, you don't need to be sitting on the couch. That's naked. like me coming in here shitting on, sitting on this couch. Yeah. Naked. yeah. Shitting on the couch. <laughs> that much. would be a little. <laughs> it, 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 it is. Knows. It's pretty close. It yeah, no, it's, it's totally pretty close. Um, one time I did a show, this is when I, I was pretty early in comedy, and I was, I was trying to balance how to date as a comedian, mm-hmm. and I had a fan in one city, but I was on a date with a guy in another city, and so I was like, well, I'm just going to go on this other date. Like, uh, you know, we're not, I'm, we're not in a relationship. I'm going to go on both these dates. And so I get to the other city and I go on the date. And the guy from the first city hits me up. He's like, guess what? I came to that city. <gasps> no. Because oh, I know you're gosh. doing a show here. I want to surprise you. Where are you at? Let's go out. And I'm like, great. Right? So guy one is like, where are you at? And I'm like, out with guy two. And so I tell guy two, you know what? I got to go. Can you drop me off at this bar real quick? I'm just going to go to the bathroom and then I'm going to go. I got to do a thing with my manager. I just make up a thing. He's like, cool. So he drives me to the place and I tell the guy one to meet me there. And then guy two is like, you know what? Actually, I'm going to park and go in with you because I want to get a drink too. And I'm like, great. Oh my god. And so I go in the restaurant and he's like getting a drink and I'm like trying to rush him and I pretend to get a phone call from my manager and I'm like, ah, I gotta go. It's cra- you should get out of here. I'm gonna be here for a while. Just get out of here. You should get out of here. And I'm watching the other guy pull up and I'm like, oh, get no. out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> and I watch them like pass each other as one is coming into the restaurant and then the other one is leaving. And there was a second where I was like, Chanel, what are you doing? Your life is getting crazy. You can't juggle two dates and two cities um so yeah that that taught me like you, you shouldn't be sneaky you should just be honest <laughs> but you did it though it's oh yeah like operation it two man went down and i've told this story <laughs> in a few podcasts and none of them have heard it so <laughs> We're like Wait it a worked out fine I but yeah that date <laughs> but it just made me realize like oh man i you know this was a new thing and i was like oh i'm excited to get to know these different people yeah and it, it was a lot to juggle you, uh, I watched a lot of your stand-up, and it said that you worked at, it said, the stand-up, you mm. said that you worked at OkCupid. Yeah, that was my last real job before I, like, went full-time comedy. Did yeah. you learn anything about dating when you were there? Um, <laughs> did it teach you anything about, like, did you get, like, dating hacks? You know, I mean, only in terms of, like, online dating, mm-hmm. but I will say that it, it taught me that you need to be, this is gonna sound cliche, but you need to be more honest in what you put on a profile because sometimes people want to put what they think people want to read and it's mm. really not that it's more so like you need to put yourself on the page and so i learned that 
people make the mistake all the time in online dating and thinking that they can search and find the person that they're, they're supposed to be with. Just like typing in keywords. Yes, like you can just search and he'll come across, and that's fine, maybe you will, but if you haven't put yourself on the page, he might not even notice you. Yeah. Like, it might not even be enough, so it's like, you need to invest more towards yourself than searching out someone on this app, you know? Mm. I think it's like, you need to be brave enough to really be that honest and to say, hey, I'm, you know, I'm lonely. <laughs> what I'm, yeah, even even to be like, hey, this is what I'm doing right now. Yeah. This this period of my life, I feel like I'm lonely, and I feel yeah. like there are so many things I want to do, and I don't have a counterpart to do it with. Like right. even just mm-hmm. admitting that cancels out a lot of the people that are going to waste your time. That sounds like that's, that's like really good, good advice. advice. But yeah. it's hard to you know to be <laughs> it's hard to be that brave. But when you meet someone that is also that brave, it's so much easier, you know. Yeah. And what I, what I will say is that we used to have a. On that app, we used to have a visitors tab where you could see who had visited your profile mm-hmm. and you could write them a message like, hey, I see you didn't like me, but you've been <laughs> checking out my stuff, you know? And so we did a bunch of research with OkCupid and we realized that those type of connections don't usually lead to a match, not a, not a yeah. sincere match. So we did away with the tab and people freaked out like messaging us crazy give me the button back where's that button i need this one guy i was going back and forth with him because i did customer service for them so i'm just doing emails with people yeah and he was like i met my last four girlfriends off the visitors tab and i was like and see that is why we know it doesn't work yeah Yeah. because here you are back on okcupid for the fifth time right (laughs) looking for someone else who probably wasn't a good match in the beginning, right. because they had already surpassed you. They had already looked back, you know, and then you convince them, no, 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 come back, listen, you know what I'm yeah. saying? So, yeah, I just oh, think that. seems like it hurts a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, it, it's terrible, Ugh. this thing that we do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to find a counterpart, my gosh. Um, you had mentioned, we talked about Me Too a little bit and just the representation between men and women, but we went to the Adirondacks um, for this wing oh. camp a while back, you know the and we wing? saw Aparna. Do you know? I do know Aparna. Yeah, so yes. we that was another woman of color, and we're like, mm-hmm. she's dope, she's amazing, we loved it. How is the representation within, like, women of color within the industry? Mm-hmm. Um, even more limited. Mm-hmm. Even more limited. I would say over the last few years, obviously white women are still getting most of the opportunities in mm-hmm. comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's, it's it's growing. I obviously don't think it's growing as fast as just women in comedy in general. Mm-hmm. But um, Tiffany Haddish is definitely opening a lot of doors. You know, mm-hmm. she had a, a, a series on Netflix called They Ready which profiled like six lady comics mm-hmm. that she chose. And I think they were all women of color. Mm-hmm. Um, I think channels like Vice are giving a lot of women of color um, a voice, especially comedians, giving them shows, letting them host things. Um, and even like Food Network. Like I had a digital show on Food Network mm-hmm. last year mm-hmm. and it was me and my counterpart, counterpart who uh, his name is Matt Rogers, a very funny comedian, a gay, a male gay comedian. And, you know, that duo, even a black mm-hmm. lady and a white gay guy, mm-hmm. is it Food Network's? Yeah. yeah, you know, like that's just not what they have done before. Right. So it was really something, even that show, the fact that they came to us and were like, Yeah, we don't know what the show is, but we know that you guys are going to do it, mm-hmm. and we think that your voices will carry it, is a real vote of confidence. Mm-hmm. And even I feel a lot more empowered when I'm in writers rooms um being able to stand up and say you guys don't see how this is problematic but here let me explain it and um now that i've had the opportunity to get in those writers rooms i understand why so many things have made it through that pipeline like Mm -hmm. when people are like i can't believe whatever fast food company had this racist ad i'm like i can i can understand (laughs) 
if Cheryl was sick that day, yeah. nobody, <laughs> nobody said anything, you know, yeah. I can understand how it happens because it's not that a bunch of people are getting together and trying to be nefarious. Mm-hmm. It's that they're naive and they're right. limited in their scope. And because there aren't enough voices in the room to be able to say, hey, from an educated perspective, this oversight is you know, going to be detrimental. That's how those things happen. So those type of things are also helping, you know, people recognize like we need a woman of color in here. We, yeah. we don't know. We don't even know. Yeah. And we need her to sit here and tell us. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it's, it's getting better and better, but it's still not easy. And we still have to really fight for those opportunities. Um, but I do think there's hope. On that same note, like with this recent um, SNL debacle with the new cast member, what are your thoughts on people who say that comedy has to be too woke now to actually be funny anymore? Hmm. You know, whenever I feel like people often exaggerate the realities of being accountable because I think they, they want to make it seem like you just have people with pitchforks chasing you down the streets saying, that's not funny, that's not funny. And I don't think it is that. Yeah. I think that in the history of comedy, there's always been a person that could say, hey, that joke is inappropriate. Or hey, that thing that you're talking about, you're speaking from a place that's limited and you don't even know because you don't understand how it affects other people that don't look like you. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that they're, like, I've never felt any fear, and I talk about everyone, that I'm saying something hateful. And I think we're, we're setting a limit now, and we're saying you can't be hateful. And I don't think that's that bad. Yeah, I don't think it's that restrictive in terms of art, even, to say you can say what you want, but let's not spread hate. Mm-hmm, right. I think that sentence alone is structure that still allows for comedy to flourish. And people are doing it every day. Even, like you said, Aparna mm-hmm. is a hilarious person, talks about people from all walks of life, mm-hmm. is never hateful. You know, so there's ways to do it in that we can keep comedy uh, healthy because Mm -hmm. when we brew those ideas, we know from history, whether we're making lighthearted, like people say lighthearted statements about terrible things that they've done, like terrible wars and all types of Mm -hmm. things that they've pushed on other cultures. Like there's a limit between making a joke and being hateful. And I think if you really don't think you're being that hateful, you should be brave enough to defend it. You yeah. should be brave enough to say, no, I, I said it and I meant it. Yeah. And I believe it. Mm-hmm. And then that's okay because then we can choose not to support you. Mm-hmm. Or we can choose to say, oh, I'm hateful just like you. <laughs> Which <laughs> I, I think happens hateful. all the time yeah. too, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. That's interesting because like even with Dave Chappelle's new special that he got like all this flack for it and everybody's like, oh, he's talking about everybody and he's being, and it's like, he's being honest for what he feels mm-hmm. and it's like, and that's how, that's what he's doing, that's how he feels, but like, it seems like everybody is like, okay, like we need to take this seriously because obviously everything's sh- everything is shit. Yeah. So do you think that plays a part in it? Do you think that people are just being really sensitive? Or? I think, I think sensitive isn't the word. Mm-hmm. I think it's that we're being more aware mm. of the effects of our words and how they shape mentalities. And right. mm. it, it feels it feels unfair to say like, hey, some people are dumb, but some people are dumb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you tell them something, whether you say it lighthearted or not, you can shape what they think about a whole group of people. Yeah. So we do have to be responsible sure. about our work. Yeah. We have to be responsible. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's not that people are sensitive, it's that they're taking it in fully mm-hmm. and understanding that it's, you know, it, it could affect us. And one of my earliest jokes that was a really good hit, um, I, I said the F word in it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the, you know, the, the, the gay slang F word. Yeah. And I remember I used to say it in third person because I was saying that someone else said it and it offended me. Mm-hmm. And the joke was so important because it illustrated that idea mm-hmm. that you could hear somebody say something and be like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. Like in mm-hmm. this day and age, I can't believe somebody's saying that. And so I had a clever twist in it. And every time I would do it, I would feel, because I, I would say this word one time in this joke, I would feel cr- crowds pull back. Even now when I do it, I feel mm-hmm. them go, oh. And then I bring them around, I feel them go, oh, thank goodness, you yeah. know? <laughs> and it's kind of like building that tension and then releasing it at will. Now, I don't walk around saying, the F word in my regular life. I would never say it to anyone in a hateful way, but I wanted to illustrate that idea and I did it in a way where I'm not saying it. It's a third person and I'm illustrating a scenario and showing you through the joke why it's not okay, you know? So I don't think that when people pull back from me, it's wrong. I think, trust me, just wait. I'm going to show you that I agree as well and that's why this topic is in this set because I want to I want to address it you know so I think there's a way like we should challenge artists to be artists we should challenge them Mm -hmm. to say like you can't just sit there and say well I don't like these people because of their eyes and the way they talk like that's dumb yeah Mm -hmm. that's not even good comedy yeah that's (laughs) so beyond being offended let's challenge you to be funny let's challenge you to make a joke right right very smart one of another question I have, which is like pretty much my last question. What advice would you give to other women of color looking to get into comedy, specifically black women as well? Um, I always feel like there are <laughs> there's like a subculture of female females all around the world that could be comedians and are being dissuaded by people in their life. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lady at a dentist office right now who's making an announcement and <laughs> she's cracking jokes and people love it, but nobody is ever telling her, hey, maybe you should start going to open mics. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so if I can tell any woman that thinks comedy sparks them, if it makes you feel a thing and it makes you feel like every day I could wake up and work on this thing and enjoy what I'm doing in, in my life, then devote every second you have to it. Study it like an art. Buy every book from every person you've ever really liked. If you like a comedy show, a TV show, download the pilot, read it, Mm -hmm. research it, find find the writers for any TV show that you like. Look them up. Find them on Twitter. Follow their Instagrams. Watch what they do in their day-to-day life Mm -hmm. and recognize that all you need is skill and talent, and you can also do that too, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's one of those things that... Failure is a big part of it. My greatest strength in pursuing comedy has been my ability to fail and get back up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm funny. Don't get me wrong. I'm biz- I have great business sense. I'm hilarious. But, <laughs> but I so fail sorry. sometimes and yeah. I get up with, with grace. And that's important in, in any art form. Mm-hmm. So I would tell any woman to pursue it at the same level you would study being a doctor. Really, really attack it and become so well-versed in it that you can understand that every day should be focused on writing and performing comedy because that's the only way you can get good at this is to keep getting on stage. There's no other way. If there was another way, I, I would have paid for it. <laughs> right. I would have purchased it, to, whatever I had to do. But it, that's the only way is to get up on stage and speak and, and trust that you're not hurting anybody. You're just mm-hmm. trying to figure out if you can make people laugh. Mm-hmm. And there are people that do much worse things every day. <laughs> That is accurate. <laughs> Thank you so much, Chanel. We really appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having me. Tell the people where they can follow you, please. Guys, you can um, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Chanel underscore underscore Ali. That's Chanel like a perfume. Two underscores. Ali like Muhammad. You can go to my website, ChanelAli.com, to find out what city I'm going to be in, when I'm going to be joking. I keep it pretty updated about a month or two in advance. And you can always send me an email if you're like, hey, but seriously, when are you coming to my city? Because I like threats. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Just like a Philly girl, like threats. <laughs> Thank you, guys.